is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. For approximately two decades, Berks County in eastern Pennsylvania has had a working agreement with Immigration and Customs Enforcement to hold people in detention on ICE's behalf. Under the leadership of presidents from both major political parties, the facility has held parents and children as young as newborns and has become so infamous that activists and others in pro-immigration circles refer to it with one word, Burks. Several years ago, a coalition of faith leaders, immigration activists, and civil rights advocates came together to create a coalition that calls for an end to Burks County's agreement with ICE and demands an end to family detention altogether. For this episode, I'm joined by three leaders of the Shutdown Burks Coalition, Jasmine Rivera, the Reverend Linda Theophilus, and Armando Jimenez. Jasmine, Pastor Linda, and Armando explain what life is like for people held at Burks, what the coalition has been doing to advance this cause, and why the work goes on even though the facility is empty today. The ACLU of Pennsylvania was not a founding member of the Shutdown Burks Coalition, but we joined later and are proud to support the coalition's work. This conversation was recorded on July 29th. Well, thank you all for taking the time to talk today about the situation uh, in Berks County at the detention facility. I really, really appreciate uh, your time explaining what is happening there um, and what has happened. So Linda, Jasmine, Armando, really appreciate uh, the chance to talk with you about this. I figure we just start by doing some intros. Um, tell, tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and how you ended up uh, involved in the shutdown Berks efforts. So Jasmine, why don't you kick it off? Sure thing. Um, hi there, my name is Jasmine Rivera. I'm uh, one of the coordinators in the Shutdown Burks um, Coalition. I um, and I'm not happy um, to say that I've been working on this campaign for six years. I'm one of the, the founders of um, the coalition. Um, so I originally started uh, uh, as the lead organizer of an immigrant rights organization um, working in, in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, but after leaving that organization, um, I continued on uh, as an individual. Um, and six years later, we <laughs> uh, we are here, still fighting. Yes, a lot of fights seem to go on and on, unfortunately. Uh, Pastor Linda, how about you? I first learned about family detention um, because I volunteered with Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Um, I'm a Lutheran pastor. My name is Linda Theophilus. I know that's not a Lutheran sounding last name. Um, <laughs> but I've known about family detention since before 9-11, and Burks was the first family detention center. However, my involvement with the Shutdown Burks Coalition is fairly recent, summer of 2020. And Armando, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Armando Jimenez. I'm an organizer with Make the Road Pennsylvania, a nonprofit organization that um, fights and advocates um, with immigrants, um, Latinx, Latinx folks in uh, Reading, Northeast Philly, and Allentown, PA. Um, I'm based in Allentown, but I have got involved with, with um, Shutdown Burks before working at, at Make the Road. Um, I would go to to their actions. And mm -hmm. once I started working with Make the Road, um, I'm sort of the, the person that that is is focused um, uh, on this issue. Um, and 
yeah, it's something that is very, very personal to me. Um, also an immigrant and definitely um, want to, to end this. And yeah, thank you. So to help folks understand what we're talking about here, um, Jasmine, I'm going to kick it over to you just to explain what uh, what it, the agreement is between Berks County and ICE and, and what uh, how this facility operates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, years back, um, I, I, it's still a little fuzzy around 2001 or or late 90s but yeah for a very long time now the county um berks county itself has been um uh, in a contract directly with ice and so what that means is that um the county is subleasing out um the use of the facility which is a county-owned facility um and also the workers who run the facility those are all technically county employees um to ice um for this facility to be used um for the purposes uh designated by ice a federal department and so um, they are in a contract with each other. Uh, I do want to name that prior to um, them subleasing this facility and workers to ICE, um, this was a county facility. Um, at, at one point, it was a senior citizen's home. Um, they built a new, bigger one, and it's literally just like right across the way from, from this family prison. Um, I think at one point, it was something to do with with young people before then um being utilized by ice um and so for years this facility has been used uh, originally it was holding um juveniles for processing um juvenile immigrants um and so we know that um before it started being um utilized as uh as a prison as a prison specifically for immigrant families um that even even before that there have been years of abuse we have heard from uh from folks uh for the last you know 10 15 uh 20 years about uh how awful the conditions how awful the treatment um, has been there is actually um uh, a gentleman who still lives in pennsylvania to this day who was held there as a young man um he was very open about um how horrible uh, it was there but in the summer of 2014 that's really when um the uh, ICE um, started utilizing the facility um, like a prison for families. And to that point, I wonder if uh, if you all can fill us in a little bit about the folks who've ended up there and the kind of where they're coming from, their pro- their personal profiles. I'm not not asking for names necessarily, of course, for privacy reasons, but just give us a sense of folks who have ended up being held at the Burks facility psychologically, it was still extremely damaging um, because parents didn't have control over their own children. And that that existed even when conditions looked better and felt better. And mm-hmm. so we're going back into the early 200s, 2000s for that, that kind of experience. Um, where the, the folks who've been at Berks are primarily asylum seekers, people who have left their home country because it was too dangerous to remain. And they were apprehended at the border and sent to, um, as they entered the United States, and then sent to family detention. They've come from all over the world, um, uh, Central Americans for sure, but lots of other countries. And over time, it's varied from area to area. I think Jasmine and Armando can speak more about who's been there more recently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So 100%, we've seen people from all over the world 
um, whether that's Latin America, whether that's from African nations, whether that's from East Asia, whether that's from Eastern Europe. Um, there was a very well-known case of, a of, an, of an English family um, um, held there um, with their three-month-old baby. Um, but predominantly, predominantly, it has been Black and Brown families that have been held there and have been held there the longest. Um, so I do want to just be very clear, and this is not by accident, it's because our immigration system criminalizes um, black and brown people more so um, than, than other uh, races. Um, yes, uh, overwhelmingly, um, many families have been, um, uh, are, are in an asylum um, process. Overwhelmingly, many families are coming because um, they are um, recent arrivals um, from the southern border. Um, but I want to be very clear that um, that is it's not 100%. Um, we have also seen um, folks who entered the country with permission, um, but something was slightly off uh, with their paperwork, and then they ended up at Berks County Detention Center for absolutely no reason. Um, we had a Syrian father um, and his 14-year-old daughter who came with a work permit. He was an IT expert, um, arrived in New York um, City, and that's where he got transferred for six months with his daughter. I mean, it's just ridiculous. We had another situation where a little girl was still wearing her school uniform because her and her parent were walking to school that morning when they got arrested. Uh, we had another woman and her daughter, um, who her daughter was essentially what lots of other people call dreamers. Um, I, there's some very good critique about the use of the word dreamer. I think all of us um, as human beings have dreams. Um, but this was a young girl who was 13 at the time when she, they, when she first came to the U.S. With, um, with her mom. She was a baby. All she has known is the United States. But um, they, you know, they had been there for for in the in the U.S. for for years, and and they were arrested and brought to the detention center. So I want to be very, very clear, right? There's, there's trends, but it's, it's not exclusive, right? Only to Central Americans or folks entering and in, in the, uh, from the U.S.-Mexico border or only folks seeking asylum. This, there, there's a huge variety, um, but overwhelmingly we see black and brown families being targeted. And Jasmine and Pastor Linda, you both are, have made some references to the difficulty of life there. And I, I for, for the people being detained, and I, I know that some of these details can be difficult to hear, but I also think it's important for people to hear it. So how, Armando, I want to kick this over to you. How would you describe life at Burks for the parents and children who were there? Um, I think there's, there's two main points. One is that... Um, the fact that they can't leave is is cruel in itself that um the the families the children weren't able to to leave whenever they wanted to um that alone was it 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 was damaging for their mental health and psychiatrists have said this um before um and the second point that this is not a facility that's meant to care for people um if you're working for ice or if ice is doing this um their number one job is to deport people. So the the conditions that were there um, were were incredibly horrible, and we go like go through uh, through several um, things that have happened there. Um, just to like um, give examples of, of of how bad it was there. And um, for example, in April 2015, um, a staff a Berks Detention Center staff member was convicted of of raping a detained 19 year old mother. Um, and 
And this is something really interesting with the commissioner saying that we shouldn't say rape, that it was actually sexual assault. Um, so this is coming from the commissioners themselves. Um, and a, in 2015, a seven-year-old uh, is documented to showing signs of malnutrition and behavioral problems. Um, the mother stated that it, it was due to prolonged captivity. And the facility psychologist blamed the mother for saying ineffective parenting skills. Um, so, so I think we, we could keep listing uh, all these all these things that happened there. I, I know there was also a child who was bleeding and they didn't receive um, care um, and right away. And it, the, all these things are extremely horrible, right? But um, it, like I said, just being detained there alone is is bad enough. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I'm going to leave it to Linda and Jasmine to say, say anything else. Um, yeah, it, it is really, really hard to speak on this. And I, I just, uh, and Linda and Jasmine, feel free to, to step in here. I just, but I just wanted to add too that I saw, I think you all sent an email today where there's a quote from a mother who was held there and she's talking about how she came here with her own traumas from her home country and then this just compounded the trauma. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was Lorena. She joined us with a um, press conference um, actually this April um, where we introduced a legislation into Congress, um, the Freedom for Families Act. Um, and she uh, joined us to, to share uh, a little bit of her experience. She was there for nearly two years. She was there for over 700 days. Her child um, was suffering from uh, uh, some medical issues. He had to have surgery. Uh, and, and like, he was bleeding from his genitalia. <laughs> like mm. she, she told, like it, it was her and like 13 other mothers who were there for nearly two years. There, there was a seven-year-old who was so depressed, literally was telling his mother that he was okay with committing suicide. That if jumping out the window meant that he would die, he'd rather do that than stay in his prison. Um, there's been multiple outbreaks um, of, of the children um, where they've all gotten sick and resulted in diarrhea and vomiting. Um, there was a toddler who was vomiting blood for three days. And the first two days, the response from the medical staff in that prison was give her water, right? Like I'm a, I'm a mother, like I have a two year old, <laughs> like, my child starts vomiting blood. I'm rushing to the ER. Like right. uh, that. Like that. If anyone is vomiting blood, you rush to the ER. Like you're getting immediate medical attention. Parents can't do that. To speak to what Linda was saying earlier, right? There's no. There is no bodily autonomy in prison. And then, in addition to that, when you're a parent, you you then have no no means to actually take care of your child properly. And they see that, right? The just being detained, as Armando was saying, in and of itself is harmful. And then you're compounding it for children who are still developing. You're compounding it because they are seeing their protectors not being able to actually protect them. I, it, it's like, there's been medical isolation for absolute no reason. Last year with COVID, there were two families from Haiti who were there from March until January of this year. They they did not implement any COVID safety regulations immediately. It wasn't until like May or June that they finally started implementing protective strategies 
in that prison for COVID. And then they started bringing in more families again in July of 2020. Like there was a COVID outbreak. Six guards got COVID in November and December of 2020. Like we could, we honestly, we could go on for hours of all of the documented cases there have been of medical neglect and verbal abuse and, and sexual of rape. Let's call it rape. Like, like a mother was repeatedly raped and like a, Berks County is the only immigrant detention center where a guard has actually been convicted for um, any type of sexual assault. But in this particular case, it was rape, but we're not gonna be afraid to say it. Um, and he spent less time incarcerated for raping her than she spent detained for seeking asylum. Wow. That, like, there's absolutely no reason to put families in a prison. That's what it comes down to. And there is never, ever a way in which you can make it okay. It is always harmful. It is always abusive. And it's absolutely positively unnecessary. There is always the implicit, if not explicitly named threat. Guards have done this out loud, perhaps not often, but there's always the threat. The children and the parents know this of children being separated from their parents. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, they, that, that has been said very deliberately. Um, Cause they're like families on the inside have organized um, several times. It's been different sets of families there. There was a work strike. Um, that's another form of abuse. Um, there are no one cleans that facility if it isn't the families and they're paid a dollar a day to clean the facility. And there is a commissary with, which just like in the, the prison system um, has a bunch of overpriced products. Um, and so when there have been work strikes, um, there's been two, um, and there was even a hunger strike um, by those moms who um, by the end of it were there for nearly two years, they, they were explicitly told that if they did not stop, they, they would be separated from their children. Hmm. So we have all forms of abuse going on here, physical, emotional, mental. Um, with all that in mind, how did the Shutdown Burks Coalition come together? What's the origin story? And how did you, Jasmine, you had mentioned being involved for six years and you mentioned 2014 being an inflection point. Like how did the coalition come together and what kind of actions um, have you all been taking to raise awareness and try to change this situation? Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the time, I'm so happy it's different now. Um, at the time, most of the immigrant rights work that was being done in Pennsylvania was, um, you know, being done in Philadelphia, which I am the first person to name that there are immigrants all over Pennsylvania, just like there are immigrants all over the United States. And so this work needs to be happening everywhere. Um, and so super happy that we now have Make the Road <laughs> um, in existence, period, let alone in our coalition. And also shout out to CASA. Um, who's doing work in central PA um, and in the coalition. Um, but yeah, at the time, um, you know, we found out at the very end of 2014, the lawyers who were representing that mother who we talked about, who was repeatedly raped um, by the guard, um, uh, they were in Philadelphia for an event and they, they were like, hey, did you know about this prison? This, this happened. And at the time, this guy had not um, been arrested yet. Um, he was still walking free. Um, 
despite like, you know, the facility knowing that I, what had happened by that point, he had been fired, but he wasn't fired immediately after being caught. I just want to name that. She, she still had to see her rapist, um, after he was caught. Um, he was eventually fired then eventually arrested. Uh, so that got brought up, um, that was raised to, to us, um, folks doing this work in Philadelphia at the end of 2014, uh, right around the holidays. And so the beginning of 2015, we, a few of us got together and we're like, but we got to do something. Um, and so we just, we started organizing our first action at the detention center. And there was a lot of questions about like, what, what does one do to shut down a person like this? Um, and so we, we got to mobilizing and, uh, after, um, doing that first action there, there was very much a need that we, we, we had to keep on doing the work. Um, and so organically we created this, this coalition and it, and, and really got to work on, on doing a whole campaign, which meant, um, doing the, the legal research to, to see what it was going to take, um, to shut it down and, and figure out who, who are our targets. And so we found in 2015 that um, this facility was being licensed by the Department of Human Services um, and that you know it, it just was com a complete violation. The use of the facility and how it was being used did not line up with what that license covered. And so we knew by that point it was violating the Flores Agreement, which is a federal regulation um, stating that family you know incarceration is illegal um but then we were, we could also see that it was violating um state law um because it, it that was not the license that they were issued that was not what they were supposed to be doing with this facility and and there is no license that exists in pennsylvania or in any other state that allows any kind of facility to incarcerate families. Um, so we, we started um, focusing on the secretary of the Department of Human Services, um, but we knew ultimately um, the secretary, uh, uh, there are appointed and their boss is the governor. Um, so after being successful in getting DHS to um, not renew the license, although we were demanding immediate revocation, they allowed it to run out. Um, and then that that got appealed by the county. Um, sorry, I'm giving everyone a quick history lesson. Um, that got appealed by the county. And so that, that got stuck in bureaucracy. And that's when we switched focus on the governor's office saying, hey, you, you, you can actually end this. You can issue an emergency removal order. Um, and since 2016, we've been demanding Governor Wolf issue an emergency removal order because we knew that the, the county commissioners um, at that moment was not movable. Um, nor the federal uh, government. Um, I'm I'm going to pause there, uh, and and we'll catch folks up in a little bit um, on where we're at now um, because we are we are in a different phase of this campaign. Uh, but yeah, we we're, we're a coalition of the willing of people who just know deep down in our in our hearts and our souls that this is evil and this is wrong. In addition to it being illegal even if it was legal it's evil and it's wrong um and we are deeply committed to seeing this to the end um and making sure that not another family uh goes through this torture and then instead we can we we have this county facility provide actual human services to the surrounding berks county community i'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up about the state because i wanted to ask the three of you about 
who's responsible here? Because this seems like a situation where you have three levels of government that are involved in some way. You've got the local, the county government in Berks. You've got, uh, of course, the contractor is uh, they're contracting with the federal government. And then, as you mentioned, Jasmine, you have the uh, the licensing uh, issue with the state. So uh, strategically, was that, did you at that point feel like Governor Wolf was the, of, of all those entities, Governor Wolf was the most likely to listen to you? What was the, uh, what was the, the strategic thinking there? So big picture, at the federal level, um, ICE has had contracts with counties in Pennsylvania uh, for decades, but Birch is the only the only county where the focus is on families. And Berks was an anomaly in the immigration detention system for, for many years. Um, in, 2000, uh, in, in 2009, the federal government opened a, a second facility down in Texas, which was fairly quickly shut down because it was extremely uh, abusive in very obvious physical, visual kinds of ways. Um, but then in 2014, the federal government opened up lots more family detention as there was a surge of families coming for asylum. Um, so there are two facilities in Texas that, that continue to exist. So that started in 2014. That put more of a focus nationally on what was happening with family detention. Um, and there was a point where doing the, the national advocacy made a lot of sense because that's where the actual decision-making is made with the immigration and customs enforcement of the federal government. But um, in Pennsylvania, there is the possibility for the state government to step in and say, this program that provides services for children is not safe and can be shut down. And that's why the state advocacy has been so important. Now I'm gonna pass it to Armando and Jasmine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in, in the beginning, we knew that a fight against ICE and the Obama White House was a long shot. Like we know, we all know ICE. Like we, we've, the nation has finally woken up to, to how horrible ICE is, right? This is the agency that children die in their custody. Um, and the Obama White House was just very clear that they they thought this um, strategy of deterrence uh, uh, was what was th this this idea of creating a situation where it's so bad here in the states if you come into the country without papers um, that that'll send a message and people in their home countries won't won't leave and we know that that is um, the stupidest um, strategy ever because. <laughs> If people are in a, in a situation of danger, if they know for sure, if they remain where they are, they are going to be hurt or possibly killed or not eat and starve, right? You're going to take your chances somewhere else because you have, like, we have the human right to migrate and protect ourselves and protect our families. Um, so the Obama administration is, is who, restart, who restarted family detention because family detention did um, occur in Hutto um, in the 90s. Um, and, and we knew that was a long shot. We, and, and we know that national campaigns are harder campaigns. They're not impossible, but they're harder. Um, and the biggest difference um, that Linda pointed out already was that uh, whereas the two um, family prisons in Texas are private facilities, and so really your only target 
is the federal government. Here in Pennsylvania was a public facility that was being um, subleased out, like I said earlier, um, to to ICE. And so uh, we were very purposeful in in focusing on the state because uh, the Governor Wolf had at least gone on the record to say he supported immigrant and refugee communities. So we wanted to hold him accountable to those statements. Um, we really viewed him as the most movable. At the time, all three commissioners in Berks County were very clear um, in 2015, 2014, I forget, 15, yes. Um, there was, it was an election year at, um, Sorry, my memory at this point. I got to okay. go all the way back. A lot has <laughs> happened in six years. So, it's so no much, problem. so much has <laughs> happened. Um, 2015 was election year for them. Uh, and they were asked about the facility at, um, at a candidate event. And all three were very clear that one, well, you know, these people shouldn't even be here because I'm not going to use the I word, but you know what they were saying. Um, and two, it's not a prison like they have it so nice in there and three money. Like they just made it very clear at the time that like the, the money that they're receiving from the federal government was the most important. And that, you know, they frankly just didn't like the, the having more immigrants <laughs> come into the United States. So we did not view the Berks County commissioners at the time to be movable. Um, we did not we saw that it was a long shot to go to hold ICE and the Obama administration accountable, especially because Obama was on his way out. Um, and so we, we really saw the pathway um, at the time to, to focus on the state because it was such a clear violation of the law. It was such a clear misuse of what the facility was actually licensed for. Um, since then, you know, shout out to Sunrise Burks um, in the 2019 um, uh commissioner races um they they really did amazing work um and and moved the needle in berks county around this particular issue um and so since then one uh of the commissioners has now changed uh, his perspective on this prison um but there's three um as well as other um local uh leaders and shout out to make the road who has also done a lot of work um to get local um elected leaders um to to be on the right side of this issue um but uh and, and now with the facility um i no longer having families in the prison yay that's that's really the the, the big news big update in 2021 is that at the end of 2021 all the families that were in there um, were released immediately at the same time and and as of right now it continues to be empty there are no families and there haven't been families in there since end of february 2021 um right now with no one currently being detained uh, the our fight for an emergency removal order is not applicable. You can't issue an emergency removal order um, if a facility doesn't have anyone in there. Um, and so at this point, um, uh, holding Governor Wolf accountable to take action um, is is moot. But I, but holding him accountable for having never taken action of he could have he could have ended family detention in Pennsylvania back in 2016. Oh, you better believe we're going we're gonna to remind everyone of that. Um, and so really our, our focus right now is uh, on the White House um, and holding um, uh, President Biden accountable to his campaign promises. He, he said himself that he, uh, there were mistakes made under the Obama administration. It, as president, it was his duty to correct those mistakes. And um, he said very, he tweeted that 
families should not be in prisons. And so it, it, at this point, it's really about um, holding the president accountable um, and getting this administration to end family detention right now and then passing the Freedom for Families Act so that we can ensure that family detention never comes back. Well, I'm glad you said you brought that up, Jasmine, because I wanted to also segue into what's next for the coalition. Um, you've laid out some of what's happening now. The facility is empty, but Berks County um, is still apparently contracting with ICE. Um, so just wanted to get get an update on what the coalition is up to right now and um, what kind of things you're encouraging people to get involved in. And Armando, why don't I kick that over to you? Um, uh, as a coalition, this is really this really has been a coalition effort. Um, and like you said, yeah, they're not holding people right now, but that doesn't mean that they're going to hold immigrants in the future. Um, and actually, um, there was some like um, backdoor deals between the commissioners and ICE, so we don't really know what was happening um, due to um, how vague they were and really hiding their plans, um, and later we found out that they're trying to detain um, women immigrants at the detention center and actually expand more bed space. Um, and this was only done because um, Make the Road of Pennsylvania and other um, members from the coalition actually sued the commissioners. We, we sued the commissioners, and that's currently happening right now because um, they violated the, we, we believe they violated the Sunshine Act, which means that they have to be public about um, contracts and what's happening with with the, the space, um, and we don't think they were they were being transparent. But more importantly, is that the community have repeatedly said that they don't want this um, this immigrant center um, where they live um, in Reading. It's one of the places where we organize from. Um, it's majority Latinx immigrants, but also. Um, yeah, the public in Reading does not want immigrant um, detention center there. They want something that actually helps the community. Um, and we don't think the commissioners are listening to, to, to our demands. And that's why currently we're in a lawsuit. Um, so, so we find out what happened, but also more importantly, making sure that they know that the, the community does not want um, the detention center there. They want actually something that's actual health and human services, not detaining immigrants. Um, but yeah, this this is our our fear because it hasn't been um, completely shut down. So this is why we're still working on um, doing this. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give all three of you a chance to kind of give a final thought. If someone listening to this, if there's one thing you want someone listening to this to walk away with, uh, what is that thought? And Linda, why don't you go first? So one of the things that Shutdown Books has done, the coalition has initiated um, an a new national network of people who are committed, organizations and individuals who are committed to ending family detention now and into the future. That it, and, and all forms of family detention, um, even with Burks being emptied now and Carnes and Dilly being used for shorter term purposes than they had for most of their the, the years those two detention centers have been in existence since 2014. Even with recent changes, we know that this could come back and be worse than it was. We also know that there are new ways in which people are being held um, that are even less under 
under um, uh, public scrutiny. Um, where hotels are being used, for example, and private companies are getting involved in in ways that are harder to harder to um, to monitor. Having said that, the the focus with this National Family Liberation Abolitionist Network, um, aka FLAN, to make family detention illegal, not an option, that that uh, Department of Homeland Security can turn to, and also public education so that more people know what's going on and stand against it. A lot of, I can say a lot of faith-based organizations, a lot of denominations like my own have been against family detention for years and outraged by it. However, there are so many people who don't know what's been going on right in their own backyards or maybe not our backyard, but within our own state. And it's a national problem. So that's, that's where our focus is. Um, and you know, I think that leaves me with, a, with my last thought too, which is this is everybody's problem. This is something that our country is doing. This is something happening in our state. This is everybody's problem. These kids, they deserve to be welcomed and cared for just like any other child. Well said, thanks, Linda. And just Jasmine, what about you? If someone's listening to this um, and you want them to know, remember one thing, what's what is that? Because it's me, I'm going to do two. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, uh, to to uh, you know to echo what Linda just said. You know, every child needs to be taken care of. That's why we're very purposely um, have abolitionists in um, our national network's name um, because we 100% recognize that our fight, um, whether it's in the shutdown Berks Coalition, very specifically to shut down the Berks County Detention Center, or whether that's in Family Liberation Abolitionist Network to end family detention, we know that our fight is a part of a much bigger fight for liberation. We're part of a, of a movement that's much broader um, than just our narrative focus. Um, and we know that we are in the struggle with all communities that are being oppressed right now, um, whether they be immigrant or U.S. born um, of any race, race, any denomination, any gender and sexuality, right? We know that all of us as human beings have the right to be free, and that is not the case right now. Um, and so family prisons are abusing children and children should not be treated this way. And, and at the same time, right, we have the juvenile detention system. We have, we have U.S. born uh, children who are being tried and convicted as adults. Uh, e even outside of the family detention uh, system, uh, there are still children in prisons as we speak. Um, and there's still so many of our people being criminalized, especially black and brown people being criminalized um, and incarcerated. And for what? For profits. Um, so that that is one thing that I want to that I want to be abundantly clear on because we recognize that you know we're we're gonna win because I have every uh, faith that we will win. It's just a matter of when um, to end the family detention um, system. Um, but we know that the work's not over after that. We know that we got to fight for every person in our community and we need to care for each other um, if we're gonna create the world that we deserve. 
Um, the, and, and that being said, that leads me to my second point, and that doesn't happen by just talking about something, right? That happens when we, when we put our beliefs and our values into action. And uh, so to me, it's absolutely critical that everyone listening to this podcast knows that we got to cold Biden and Harris and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who's a refugee himself, right? Uh, accountable. That asking nicely is is not how we win. We have we have never won uh, justice when we ask nicely. We demand. We demand what we deserve because um, these are our human rights, and so we need to hold the Biden administration accountable. And people can do that by sending emails, by uh, sending messages via social media, by when he shows up in your town, by asking, right? By saying point blankly, like, I need you to end family detention. There shouldn't be prisons for families. Um, we Folks can um, check out the Shutdown Burks Coalition. We're on Facebook, we're on um, Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, just, you know, Google Shutdown Burks Coalition. Um, and we have um, lots of toolkits and, and all the information for folks to sign our petition, the, the right numbers to call, the, the right accounts to, to tweet um, at, uh, the right emails to send. Uh, but we, we have to take what we learn and we got to put it into action. Yeah, thank you for saying that because I wanted to ask about what actions folks can take. Um, so definitely encourage anybody listening to this to, to check out uh, the social media platforms that Shutdown Burks is on. Um, Armando, I wanted to also offer you the chance for any final thought. Um, yeah, um, as somebody who's directly affected by the immigration system, who has you know, been undocumented through several presidential administrations, I just want to, you know, Make sure people don't believe the narrative. You know, this is a fabricated crisis. Um, people do not have to be in detention centers. Um, people do not have to um, risk their life to cross the border. Um, people have the right to, to ask for um, refugee um, status at the border. And um, don't play into the, the, we have to protect the border first before we um, liberate people here in, in the States. Um, and that don't, you know, if you hear your Congress elected leader or Biden who are trying to appease or win um, votes from people who, who are scared of, of the other of immigrants, I think uh, definitely what Jasmine said, this is, um, this is something that we have to be in solidarity with, um, with Black and Brown folks who are citizens, who, who are painted as the other to be feared. And it really is white supremacy that, that this is happening. Um, we know that if it was white children, this would not happen at Burke's um, detention center. And, um, and it doesn't matter what president is in office, um, ICE should not be there. Um, Obama deported more people than any other pre um, president before him. So just, just to be aware of the narrative, um, this does not have to happen. Um, people do not have to be detained. Um, I. I applied for my DACA status and I sent an application. I went for my fingerprints and not once was I ever detained. So this, this should not be happening. 
Well, thank you all so much for your time today and more importantly for your work. I know it is exhausting at times, emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting, but it's really important work. So uh, I, for one, am really grateful. I know folks at the ACLU are as well. So, so keep it up and, and thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thank you. Thanks again to Jasmine Rivera, the Reverend Linda Theophilus, and Armando Jimenez from the Shutdown Burks Coalition. You can find them on Twitter with the handle Shutdown Burks and on Facebook at Shutdown Burks Coalition. If you like what you hear on Speaking Freely and what the ACLU of PA does, you should become a member. Visit aclupa.org join to learn more. And that is a wrap on episode 64. The audio editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet, and our video editor is Cambria Lee. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schufer. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be healthy and be free.